Welcome back. It's Deb Hutton sitting in this week for Reshmi Nair, and it is Wednesday afternoon, which means I am joined by Brett House for a series called Dollars and Cents with Brett House. Brett House is Professor of Professional Practice in Economics at Columbia Business School and a fellow with the Public Policy Forum, the Monk School, and Massey College. Brett, welcome back. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Great to be on with another friend from Niagara West. Niagara West, my fave place. So the sad part, though, is I also have a house in Toronto, which means I am looking at a 10.5% minimum property tax bump under Olivia Chow. You watch these things carefully. You know about the challenges of affordability in this city. What's your take on the budget info we received today? Well, it's draft info. It's the initial proposal. Uh, it's going to get consulted on, refined, and uh, negotiated with council. Uh, but one of the critical things is that underneath that headline 10% tax increase, uh, it's actually about 9% in property tax, another percent and a bit in the city building fund. Uh, no one loves a tax increase, but that is a big catch-up from several years in which uh, property taxes probably haven't risen enough to sustain services in Toronto. And they are now at a level that is relatively low compared to any other major city in Canada. And uh, this is a little bit of catch-up. So it's a lot all at once, but you know, property owners have had it pretty good for several years. So I'm going to push back a little bit on that, no surprise, because part of my challenge is that I do not see that there's been any effort on successive councils to try and keep spending as low as they possibly can. And the other statistic that goes with this is that Toronto is each and every year leading the GTA pack on per capita, per taxpayer spending. We spend more than other municipalities around us each and every year per capita, and yet we should have greater economies of scale, shouldn't we? Well, you know, on the first point, they have made a big effort uh, to close that $1.8 billion budget hole with about six to $800 uh, million in cost reduction and spending avoidance. So there has been some discipline here on budgets, and that's coming up on the back of years in which public services in Toronto have been underfunded, and yet they found a way to get more and more savings squeezed out. So not perfect, but you know there has been a balanced approach between tax increases and spending cuts. In terms of the point you're making, why is spending per capita so high in Toronto? It is a part, uh, partially a, a fact that you know you're spending on infrastructure you're spending on services that you don't provide in a lot of other places in the uh, Southern Ontario region, and that's going to create bigger costs per capita. So an interesting story about the concept of buy now, pay later. We see the ads all the time, particularly at this time of year in the new year, enticing people to get some new furniture, enticing people to get a new TV, and you can just, you know, zero down, buy now, pay later. There's some alarm bells being uh, rang, rung about this particular concept. Curious for your take on it um, in terms of how we protect consumers in what is, uh, it says, a growing 
uh, effort on the part of consumers, 20% a year increase year over year for people who are employing this tactic to buy, as I said, largely things for their home. Well, you're certainly seeing this approach to financing spending being pushed on consumers by a greater and greater extent by banks, by credit card companies, uh, by uh, places that sell appliances or furniture. Uh, the ubiquity of this option to finance what you're buying has become much greater. And even where consumers are trying to be prudent, it's hard to resist uh, some of these offers. Now, the notion of buying now and paying later is by no means new. We take out all kinds of consumer credit. And you and I are old enough to remember back when layaway was a big thing, you know, for back to school <laughs> spending or other things. You know, you'd, you'd have the pair of jeans sitting there for a few weeks and you pay 10 bucks or 15 bucks a week until you could get them. The difference with this is that it is so easy. It is applied to a range of purchases that are not um, durable things that you hold on to and get benefit from for a long time. It's even being offered on things like trips, on plane tickets, on you know, more ephemeral uh, consumption. And that's the kind of thing that is concerning because you can see a whole lot of debt run up quickly without you know a long-term benefit coming from it. Yeah. And then as I understand, it's not something I've ever done, but as I understand it, you know, if your term is two years or four years or whatever, then a massive potential increase in interest at the end of that period if you aren't in a better position and able to make those payments. That's absolutely right. You know, you end up getting a relatively low interest rate for the beginning of the term. Uh, but then at the end, whether it's one or two years, uh, it flips into something closer to a traditional credit card interest rate, which could be 20%. And that's the sort of thing that over time will put a lot of households into difficult financial straits. So it's increasing access, but at a cost. And like any lending arrangement, there is no free lunch there. Uh, speaking of households, there's kind of a fun little give me some advice. So I'm going to ask you, Brett House, uh, give me some advice. It's a story of two people who've been together about 15 years. One of them entered into the arrangement uh, with the house and the other had the car. They've completely pooled their finances. Is this a good strategy economically if you enter into a, a, a union or a marriage with different assets at the beginning? Uh, well, it's going to be a good strategy for current spending and saving on it year to year. Uh, you know, more people in a household spreads the cost of running that household over a greater number of incomes and uh, lowers costs on a per person basis. Uh, but, you know, you need to have some very clear conversations about the capital you're bringing into a relationship like that. And if things were to go wrong, how it would be divided, because the courts will take a different view from individual arrangements, and you need to be ready for that. Not a very romantic conversation to have, though. <laughs> I keep coming back to the fact that we're going to get the final budget in the city of Toronto on Valentine's Day and laughing when you talk about romance. <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So a lot of talk amongst uh, people who watch these things, people who owe, who have mortgages and are having them come due. 14% of mortgage holders in this country are going to be in a position of having to renew a mortgage at a much higher rate. We're hearing today the big banks say that they don't believe this will result in a great deal of default, even though the average mortgage holder will see an increase of $5,000 a year because of the new rates. Your, your take on this? Uh, well, uh, the quality of underwriting in Canada and the regulations around it that drive that quality have been very robust for years. During financial crises or recessions, when uh, the United United States sees a big increase in mortgage defaults. We have actually seen a consistent decline in defaults here in Canada. Part of that is the controls on ensuring that only people who can afford mortgages get them. But also during this last uh, big downturn caused by the pandemic, we saw banks make some exceptional efforts to accommodate uh, financial problems that households were having, push out payments on mortgages, extend the term of them, capitalize interest interest payments and them to the end of the mortgage period and uh, that has uh, a strong likelihood of continuing for people who are in uh, tough straits and uh, you know because we have seen labor markets remain very strong the biggest determinant of whether people can keep affording their mortgage is whether they have a job and a lot of Canadians have jobs right now. Brad House, Professor of Professional Practice and Economics at Columbia Business School and a fellow with the Public Policy Forum, the Monk School and Massey College. Thanks so much, as always, for joining the Rush on a Wednesday afternoon. Deb Great Hutton. to speak with you, Deb.